My name is Terry O'Reilly. It's been a while since we've dipped into the old Age of Persuasion mailbag. Let's see. Two large pizza with zany bread just $14.99. You may already be a winner. Gee, free real estate evaluation. Ah. Ms. Enid Fundal of Athens, Ontario writes, Dear Terry O'Reilly, who died and made you king of advertising anyway? Well, Enid, I, uh... Excuse me, Terry. Flip on the radio. Okay. Passed away peacefully last evening in her sleep. Family were at her bedside. In a press release, her lawyers confirmed that she has named ad guy and broadcaster Terry O'Reilly to succeed her as the king of advertising. You know, speaking of death, it's never too soon to pre-plan your funeral. Wow. Me? King of advertising? I wonder how much new business cards will cost. It doesn't matter. I'm not going to let this go to my head. On the other hand, there are a few things about advertising that really get under my skin. No, no, it isn't about me. On the other hand, if they bother me, they probably bother other people too. No, no, who am I to impose my will on a $600 billion industry? On the other hand, what's the point of having power without expressing wise insights, proposing bold ideas, and smacking people around just a little. Keith, take a decree. I've got a few things to get off my chest. Yep, over the next few minutes, I'm going to name 23 things I'd like to change about advertising in the age of persuasion. I want chicken. I want liver. I want a bottle of Coca-Cola, That's a spicy meatball. Hey, great. A toothpaste should bite, Kathy. I can't believe I ate that all. 32-piece set of Libby's Safe Edge glassware worth $14. And now, Terry O'Reilly and the Age of Persuasion. There you go again. Okay. About this king of advertising thing. Turns out anyone can buy that title for $25 from a post office box in Fresno, California. But it does come with free wooden salad spoons. And they're nice, too. Well, if I can't abuse my power as the monarch of advertising, I may as well abuse my power as a radio host and bring up a few things I'd like to change about advertising. And I know right where I'd begin. Here. I'd like to see a ban on advertising on the boards at NHL hockey games. Here's my beef. Hockey's a fantastic game, but it's relatively tricky to watch. On a frozen white canvas, some 200 feet by 85, are painted lines, four zebras, and 12 players chasing a tiny six-ounce chunk of vulcanized rubber. Visually, that's a lot of information. In the 1980s, NHL rinks began adding visual clutter. Ads posted along the boards with letters, colors, logos, and recently, electronic video screens along what used to be lily white boards. In the 90s, the league began allowing advertising painted under the ice. I'm okay with owner profits and player salaries. A wise man once said, 
people are worth whatever someone's willing to pay them. The trouble is, fans get less and less for their money. Back in Canada's centennial year, the best seat in Maple Leaf Gardens cost, wait for it, six dollars. In today's dollars, that's, say, $33. Today, a best seat costs upwards of $400. Ticket prices did better than keep up with inflation. Since then, they lapped it some 12 times. For that money, today's NHL fans get two more unwelcome extras. First, commercials on the big screen with avoidable visuals and unavoidable audio. Second. Lengthy TV timeouts. Three per period, two minutes each. 18 minutes of scheduled commercial interruption, whether the game is televised or not. No kidding. On some nights, games will stop dead. Teams skate to the bench, refs cool their heels, and everyone waits out a TV break that isn't happening. The emperor has no ads. Let hockey make money, piles of it if they want, but it disrespects fans when the game experience and the game itself are compromised in order to squeeze out a few more advertising dollars. As it is with curling, where the clean sheet is giving way to ads, drawing focus away from the game where it belongs. And in boxing rings, where some advertisers have taken to, oh, tattooing their message, temporarily one hopes, on the, ouch, backs of fighters. Again, that hurt, distracting from the sport itself. Excuse me. Sorry you uh, <clears throat> had to see that. Okay, next. Let people drink beer in beer ads. This is an Australian beer ad with members of the Melbourne Symphony and Orchestra Victoria playing a work entirely on beer bottles. Yet, there's one glaring difference between their ads and ours. In Canada, no ad for beer, wine, or liquor is allowed to show someone actually consuming beer, wine, or liquor. Memo from me to Canadian regulators. What's the big secret? People in Canadian ads can open a bottle, pour a drink, and hold the drink. But for reasons that pass understanding, regulators believe you need to be protected from seeing someone sip the drink. Filed beside that, under P for paternalistic, are prescription drug regulations. There's no question that Canadian regulators face a tough choice. They can either A, ban prescription drug advertising aimed at consumers, or B, allow them. But instead of, oh say, making a decision, Canada's Food and Drugs Act fashioned a bizarre compromise. In Canada, a prescription drug ad can mention the product, its quantity and its price, but not what it's supposed to treat. Fever. 
or it can mention the condition it treats, provided it doesn't mention the product. Aside from the, well, monolithic success of campaigns for erectile dysfunction brands, under the current rat's nest of regulations, Canadian ads for prescription drugs can create more confusion than they resolve. Next, enough already with junk mail. Everybody has their own story. Mine is this. When I'm out of town for a day or two, I come back to find 20 to 30 pieces of unsolicited, unwanted ads smothering the mail I do want. Complain if you want to the powers that be, and they'll tell you, Not to worry, it's easy to avoid unwanted mail. Then watch as their nose grows. You can stop junk mail addressed to you by adding your name to the Canadian Marketing Association's Do Not Mail list. Ah, but read the fine print. This applies only to mail sent by... Say again, please. Certainly. This applies only to mail sent by... CMA members? I beg your pardon? This applies only to mail sent by CMA members. Right. That will only stop unwanted mail from marketers who belong to the CMA. For the rest, your only hope is to reach them one at a time and ask to be removed from their list. And the junk mail that isn't addressed to you? Why, Canada Post says Canadians have known for years that they can stop unaddressed junk mail any time they want. To prove it, you only need to drop by here, in sub-basement 37, a kilometer below headquarters of Canada Post's regional office on Ellesmere Island. Let's see, room S-37-627, right here. You can opt out of unaddressed junk mail. You can opt out of unaddressed junk This is the marketing team assigned to spread the word that Canadians can opt out of unaddressed junk mail simply by filling out a form. Of this program, a Canada Post spokesperson says, It has been in place since 1997, so we feel we've done a good job, and people know they have that right. Canada Post might have done an even better job spreading the word if they hadn't been busy counting the $339 million they made delivering unaddressed junk mail in 2006. Is that the door? That's a 14% increase from the year before. That's 339 million reasons why Canada Post has chosen to use Canadians instead of serving them. And, as any good brand manager will tell you, putting your customer second is a dangerous short-term strategy. Which brings us to this. We've just referenced the Beatles tune as a kind of pop culture underscore. As we've mentioned in the past, advertisers call this borrowed equity. And in the age of persuasion, advertisers are way overdrawn. Rather than invest time building a long-term relationship with consumers, most brands today embrace a steady parade of short-term marketing campaigns. This means they've built less emotional equity with their audience. Solution? They borrow it by buying and often defiling hit songs. You say goodbye. 
hello goodbye might be mutated into goodbye, as in B U Y. If advertisers must buy popular songs, at least let them be lyrically speaking. Enough with shameless edits, where advertisers cut from the middle of a chorus to smash two lines together for strategy's sake. It's kind of like buying the Mona Lisa, then eliminating her nose to make her eyes closer to her mouth. Why spend all that money on a song only to butcher it? And don't get me started on ads that borrow the Mona Lisa. I think we're smelling a trend here: advertising that disrespects the customers they're supposed to attract. Marketers who sacrifice long-term brand building on the altar of short-term results. And today's ad copywriters? Today they're making their bones writing things which, in our father's time, would have had him writing "I'm sorry" a hundred times on the blackboard. My name is Terry O'Reilly, and this is the Age of Persuasion. You sure you should be doing this yourself? Yeah. What would I like to change about advertising? For one thing, enough with bodily functions, secretions, spouting blood, and miscellaneous gore. It's bleeding a lot, isn't it? Tell, tell. Hey, can I have a Starburst? Madison Avenue. Meet Quentin Tarantino. Witness this Starburst spot where a fellow reaches into a vat of acid to retrieve a candy. When he stands up, his arm is missing. Whoa! A generation back, bodily functions were more the domain of Mel Brooks. We've mentioned before that a few years back, you'd never find a belch or fart on a commercial sound effects library. Nowadays, our company's sound effects library boasts, if that's the word, 138 unique belches. 242 farts and 24 different vomiting sounds. Splatter must be added separately. How about more beans, Mr. Taggart? I'd say you've had enough. There was something. There was something I would. I've been trying to say there's a. Excuse me. It it might be important. Hello. Were the holidays good for you, but hard on your finances? Are you well, tired of making minimum payments and getting nowhere? I am, because there was a better way to deal with your debt. Wouldn't you like to know about it? Could you tell me? Could help eliminate up to seventy percent of your debt. Cold call telemarketers, the true bottom feeders in the ocean of persuasion. They do what the story door-to-door salesman couldn't do. They disrespect your privacy and your time on their terms. As early as 9:30 Saturday mornings, as late as 8 p.m. weekdays. And those are the ones who play by the rules. It's the group that caused Jerry Seinfeld to speak for a beleaguered world. Well, I. Oh, I'm sorry. Excuse me one second. Hello. Hi. Would you be interested in switching over to TMI long distance service? Oh, gee, I, I can't talk right now. Why don't you give me your home number and I'll call you later? Uh, well, I'm sorry. We're not allowed to do that. Oh, I guess you don't want people calling you at home. No. Well, now you know how I feel. <laughs> As a consumer. I resent telemarketers disrespecting my privacy and my time. As a marketer, I resent that for every sale they make, telemarketers cheese off who knows how many others, 
causing a stink that pervades the entire industry. But you hear that? Help is on the way. It's the Canadian Radio, Television and Telecommunications Commission on horseback yet. In a bold, sweeping move to bring order to Canadian telemarketing, they have announced that... Canadians can register their number on a mandatory do-not-call list, prohibiting calls from all telemarketers. But soon, just as quickly and noisily as the CRTC charged, they slowly, stealthily retreated. That is, all telemarketers except registered charities, political parties, those collecting information for a survey, solicitors for subscriptions to general circulation newspapers, and businesses with an existing business relationship with the consumer. Meaning the rules don't apply to just about anyone you've ever done business with. Memo from me to the CRTC. Stop helping. And what about so-called outbound calls, where you call a business? It's remarkable how much time and money companies spend grooming their image while keeping a phone system that actually repels customers. All our staff are currently busy or away from the phone. Please stay on the line. Then comes the most disingenuous line in all of marketing. Your call is important to us. Really? Well, stranding people in the ether with an automated voice and mind-numbing Muzak is a funny way to show it. Our company faced that very problem. We knew we'd have to put calls on hold now and again. But then we thought, why not take a potential negative delay and entertain the caller? and create hold messages whose content, and especially tone, would say something about us. You already know that Pirate writes music for commercials and long format. But did you know they also write music for other things as well? Like open heart surgery. Kids' birthdays. From dusk to dawn, all I want to do is track. Cooking in the nude. Divorce proceedings. Why bother? As I'm always saying, as I'm always saying, as I'm always saying, to clients, every touch point a business has with its customers says something about that business. You have to tend carefully to every one. Just as a convoy is only as fast as its slowest ship, a company's relationship to its customers is only as good as the least of its points of contact. What else would I change about advertising? I'd banish commercials from movie theaters for one simple reason. They ruin the escapism of film going. Like the elimination of the B-movie and the short over the decades, introducing ads in theaters takes away from the movie going experience without giving anything back. Lord Vader, that was never a condition of our agreement. Perhaps you think you're being treated unfairly? No. Good. Cinema ads disrespect the very customers theaters should be serving by using them as fodder for advertisers. This deal is getting worse all the time. So how about a compromise? Post the time a movie actually starts and charge me a fair price. Then, as one of our listeners, Dave, suggests, offer a discount to those who show up early to watch advertising. 
What else would I change about advertising? Hello! I'd declare a moratorium on ice pick to the forehead hard sell. Every market seems to have at least one, a self-styled TV personality who does his own ads, who believes the louder he yells, the more you'll pay attention, and whose very appearance on your TV prompts the involuntary moan, oh no. Enough already with the boss is away sales. Who are they kidding? Enough with ads yelling at me to hurry. I'll make you a deal. If you want my money, you hurry. Enough with Boxing Day sale ads that use boxing ring sound effects and overly concussed claims about knockout prices. Hundreds of advertisers drag out the same tripe every year, though it hasn't been clever since... Wait, it was never clever. Yep, if any of us could just wave a wand and forever change a few things in advertising, wouldn't it be a wonderful world? I see trees of green. I'd eliminate perfume samplers from magazines. Even when you tear them out, the magazine still reeks. I'd eliminate multi-page ad inserts that add unwanted fat to magazines and also those tip-in cards that fall onto the privy floor when you turn the page. I'd impose a 10-year moratorium on talking animal ads. I'd take those long, long commercial islands on private radio stations and limit them to two minutes. I'd take all those tired copywriting terms, amazing, hurry, spectacular, factory direct, low, low prices, and I'd put them in a bag and ship them one way to some former nuclear test site in the South Pacific. The colors of the rainbow. Such phrases mean nothing to the copywriter and even less to the audience. They're like blank tiles in Scrabble. They can be used anywhere, but they have no value. I'd issue a smack upside of the head to media buyers who schedule the same commercial over and over and over during a show. To those who repeat the same ad within a single commercial break. And especially to those who run the same ad back to back. Do they realize this kind of cynicism will only bite the brand in its gluteus maximus? I'd find a way to keep the world's lawyers happy without having to stuff 300 words of unreadably tiny legal type onto a print ad, or flash unreadable legal on-screen in TV ads for banks and cars. And I'd put an end to Motormouth Legal in voiceovers. I'd limit the number of scientific breakthroughs in shaving and toothbrush technology to, say, six per annum. I'd appoint a Simon Cowell-type figure to audition and weed out advertisers who should never, ever appear in their own ads. Winners go to air, to everyone else, a wedgie. And I'd find a way to reward clients who understand that most people aren't as enamored of their brand as they are. Advertisers whose work is honest and compelling, and who reap the rewards of earnestness patience, and, above all, respect for their customers. Granted, theirs is the advertising that really works.
Maybe that's reward enough. What a wonderful world. In through the nose, out through the mouth. I feel better now. And if I can put my ad guy hat back on for a moment, it's worth pointing out that most gripes people have with advertising can be traced back to a few common sins among marketers. First, marketers forget that brand loyalty is kind of like dating. The dating will continue until one side pulls something stupid. Someone once said people don't buy brands, they join them. I think that is so true which explains why marketers who insult or annoy their customers are begging for a breakup. Brand loyalty is also about respect. How much respect a company has for its customers. No one, including marketers, likes a company that treats them like cattle or chattel. Saying, your call is important to us, should be a promise, not a computerized line. This is about a lack of authenticity. Many companies say they care, yet signal loud and clear that they couldn't care less. In which case, they're posing, which means their employees are forced to pose, which leads to cynical employees and customers who can read that cynicism and won't come back as a result. My biggest beef is that advertising, as an industry, can be its own biggest enemy. There is too much advertising. It's everywhere. It's on NASA space rockets, inside golf holes, on rental DVDs, on food, and yes, on condoms. Even as a practitioner of advertising, I think it's too much. Nothing is good if it's suffocating. And inundating people with advertising isn't good for the industry. Ads begin to lose their currency and their relevance and their ability to persuade. Which leaves a marketer's toolbox decidedly empty in the age of persuasion. You want to know what's wrong with the age of persuasion? Oh, I'll tell you what's wrong. First, it's created and written by Terry O'Reilly and Mike Tennant. Right ship, wrong captains. Enough said. And just because Keith Oman is engineer and controls all the sound, doesn't mean that I'm afraid to say just what I think of all right, all right, all right, all right, all right. Truce, truce. Title theme by Ari Posner and Ian Lefevre. You want my opinion? Too many notes. The Age of Persuasion is produced for CBC Radio by Pirate Toronto.